Robert Louis Stevenson once said, Nothing more strongly arouses our disgust than cannibalism. Yet, we make the same impression on Buddhists and vegetarians, for we feed on babies, though not our own. Good day, everyone. It's Barb here on another episode with your host, Barb and Shay. What's up, Shay? How's it going? It's going good. I can't complain. Super busy at work and just trying to stay on top on top of schoolwork as much as possible. And we got to hang out this weekend, so that was pretty fun. How are you? I'm doing good. I can't complain. Just taking it all in as summer's coming to a close and the kids are back to school. So that in itself just blows my mind how fast everything is going. And if you guys haven't noticed, we have got merch up finally. Yes. So check that out on our Facebook. We have two different shirts for you guys to choose from and some stickers. And we do have a drawing that we're going to do for a free sticker that we'll send out to you. As long as you just go on there and share our merch post, you will be entered in to win. But that pretty much wraps up today's business. For the last episode, I guess, of the month of July, I wanted to travel somewhere outside of the lovely Lone Star State and go all the way out to our fellow Orange State. If you don't know where that is, it is Florida. Today, we are talking about the Jacksonville cannibal, Otis Toole. Otis was a drifter, which is someone who we would consider to be homeless or without an income. Someone who we see living on the streets, typically asking for money um, or living under bridges. That's pretty much what a drifter is. He was also a serial killer. And between the years 1961 and 1983, he would take the lives of six innocent people. But he is also suspected to be behind one other murder, but claims to have killed many, many more. This episode covers a lot of information from different states to innocent victims and accomplices. So you will have to pay very close attention in order to truly understand what happened with Otis Toole and the many victims we will be covering today. I got most of my information from Wikipedia, SerialKillerCalendar.com, and Murderpedia. Real quick, I want to ask you, have you ever heard of Otis Tool? Yes, I have. I have heard of him um, on another podcast. He is insane. Like, insane, insane. But I'm excited to hear how you tell it. Yes, and I I won't be able to go into like depth or depth of all the victims that that he did take. I'll be kind of not going over them really quickly, but kind of for the sake of all the information that I'm going to try and cover in today's episode. And with that, I want to go ahead and begin with who Otis was. From what I can tell, he was born on March 5th. 1947 he was born in Jacksonville Florida and pretty much stayed there his entire life at a young age his father abandoned him and he was left with his mother who was 
from what I could tell, really abusive towards Otis. She would often dress him in girls' clothes and call him Susan, and he was sexually abused by many relatives and people in his life, such as his elder sister and his family's next-door neighbor where he was living at the time. His maternal- I don't understand. I don't understand, sorry, why his mom thought that that was like like okay to do and to basically bully him and then have all of his other like obviously his other sister is gonna bully him as well because she's used to her mom bullying him and you know that's that's crazy that's honestly so sad which you know this is nature versus nurture situation right right and i think that his family as a whole just just wasn't right i mean we have morals and like a good compass in us that direction like directs us in a way of life where we want to leave a legacy for our kids but from what i was reading his family wasn't like that at all his maternal grandmother was a sadist and would practice satanic rituals and witchcraft in front of otis as a young young child and all these things included grave robbing self-mutilation and his grandmother would also call him the devil's child growing up so which if that's his if that's her belief then that's fine and if that's their thing then that's fine it's okay to be believing what you want to believe but you shouldn't push that on somebody right she shouldn't sit there and like basically force him into something that he doesn't even know if he wants which which is probably what causes him to be satanic towards the future things that he's gonna be doing i mean things like this are not okay i mean i'm okay if if whatever you want to believe in fine but when you're talking about grave robbing and self-mutilation that no that doesn't fly with me those are red flags and i feel like cps should have stepped in at that at that time especially if he was being sexually abused by his sister mm-hmm. and by family member or families next door to him that is a whole nother nutshell i could talk about that for days but i'm not going to go into that um yeah but you have to have to remember the time of this time you know now we can barely still like get kids out of bad situations imagine then he was born in 1947 so this is probably in the 50s you know imagine what child protective services even was yeah that's true that's true i just feel like but yeah i agree something should have been done for sure yeah yeah i mean it was i don't know i mean even psych words back there were like non you don't you didn't talk about that because it was like taboo and it was such a bad thing Mm -hmm. but with families like this i feel like there was something somebody or someone could have stepped in to help him as a child now during otis's time in school he really struggled He was diagnosed with being on the lower spectrum of his learning capabilities, and he was actually testing to have an IQ of 75. He was diagnosed with epilepsy, causing him to have grand mal seizures, and during his teenage years, he really peaked in arson. He would run away from home and find space in old abandoned homes, and at this point in his life, he started to play around and mess with fire and became aroused by it. That's what he would describe the feeling as and would light things up and watch it burn down to the ground. 
During this point, which was in high school, Otis admitted that he claimed to like other boys and he stated he was sexually molested at five years old by a friend of his father's and at around 12 years old he had a sexual relationship with a boy next door. He admitted that at some point he became a male prostitute and began visiting gay bars pretty frequently. And after high school, he drifted between states. It is unclear what he was doing, but is there, like in some ways, there's suspect that there was foul play with some different murders, including the murder of 24-year-old Patricia Webb, and this was all the way out in Nebraska, as well as 31-year-old Ellen Holman, while he was possibly visiting Colorado and it all didn't come to a light until the year 1976 and this was when Otis made his way back down to Jacksonville Florida and would meet Henry Lee Lucas at a soup kitchen if you oh, don't know, just little Henry I know I was about to say if you don't know who that is he is another well-known serial killer slash drifter in the United States. In fact, you probably have heard of Henry Lee Lucas, and there's a chance um, you haven't heard of Otis because Henry was like the more profound and exposed serial killer during their killing sprees, and that's probably why you haven't. But we aren't here to talk about Henry's story, but more on Otis's and how Henry had a role in it. Actually, Rumor had it that they would form a pretty close relationship, and it was likely that it developed into a sexual one. Later, after being captured by police, Otis would tell police that him and Henry murdered somewhere around the neighborhood of 108 people while together, pretty much on the run. And it was all because they were a part of some sick cult called the Hands of Death. Now, from research, it has not been confirmed or not if this cult actually even existed. And as of today, Henry and Otis have not been accused of murdering people in that amount. And as of now, police believe that he made it up to try and seem bigger than what he was in the murdering world. You know how those serial killers do. Yeah, they either say, oh no, I, I only one person or they say I killed a hundred and eight there's no like in the middle of yeah that's all I did done exactly I mean there was some like Ted Bundy who actually came forth and confessed to pretty much everyone that he murdered and nothing more so yeah those little ones here and there but yeah from what I could find he kind of just went way overboard to try and seem like he was the the quote best one out there but whatever so let's talk about the crimes that happened in which Otis has been officially and formally accused and went to trial for and everything. So on the day of January 4th, 1982, Otis would set a boarding house on fire, all the while barricading a 65-year-old man in there named George Sonnenberg. George would survive the injuries initially 
and would be transported by ambulance to a local hospital and within a week's time span he would pass away due to underlining injuries that he sustained from the house fire. In April 1983, so over a whole year later, Otis was out and about, you know, never had been arrested for the arson and murder of George, but he would actually be arrested that day about a year later on something non-related to that incident. He would make a deal with authorities and with a written statement, he would confess to the crime he committed in April 1983 and he would only be given 20 years in prison the confession statement he had given police was that him and george had begun a sexual relationship and they got into this pretty heated argument and during the argument otis decided to kill george in the house fire so yeah i don't even want to i don't even know what to say about that i mean that just blows my mind that he would think that that was fine and just willy-nilly like to me that sounded like there was no premeditation like we got into an argument I got mad I set the house on fire I literally blows my mind yeah but the fact that he thought about closing everything off and then like to where he can't escape that almost seems like premeditated where he was like well if I do that I could do this and this could keep him from escaping because it took that, time to do that. That is true. And I don't really know what barricading meant. Whether that was like to like board the windows up. Or maybe lock him in the room. Like one specific room where he couldn't escape that. And then that that's how he barricaded him in. It really didn't go into detail. But I literally was like, are you serious? When I was reading that. So. And roughly, only 20 years. That's it. For burning someone alive. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty much it's sad honestly um so roughly two months later after that whole arrest and everything this was in june and otis's lover henry was arrested for unlawful possession of a firearm and during his arrest henry would begin to tell authorities how he and otis went on a killing spree and about the satanic cult they claimed to be a part of yada 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 and there was a victim named Adam Wash who came up in this particular confession that Henry Lee Lucas went to go tell the police about. This boy was six years old and was abducted from a Sears department store in Hollywood, Florida. He told police that he saw Adam inside the Sears store and told Adam that he had candy and toys inside of his vehicle and if he would come out to see these things he would be given one so he got him inside of this vehicle and this is when Adam the six-year-old boy began to notice something was wrong he started to cry after the ride began and told um, Henry or Otis that he wanted to go back that he this was a bad idea and this is not what he thought it was going to be. This is when he claims he started to hit Adam, punching him in the face, which would knock him out unconscious. He stated that he then pulled over to the side of the road, dragged him out of the vehicle and decapitated his head with a machete. He then drove around with his head for a few days, 
even forgetting that it was in the back. And when he rediscovered it, he dropped it off in a canal. Like, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head. Like, how can you just forget, okay, for one, of the horrible act that you just committed. But for two, there has to be a smell coming from his car. Like, yeah, but I mean, it was the same thing with Ted Bundy. He had heads all in his house. I, mm -mm. I don't understand it. No, and John Wayne Gacy, and yeah, I don't understand it either. But with all that confession coming forth, it is true that Adam was murdered and his severed head was found in a drainage canal alongside Highway 60. His story was actually aired on television and it gained national attention and millions of viewers tuned in to hear his story. Even though the police had a confession, there was actually no physical evidence that they could use to tie Otis to the murder and for that he was never actually convicted. But do you want to know why there was no evidence? Yes. Well, <laughs> Well, as research states on Wikipedia, police actually lost the impounded vehicle, which displayed the bloody carpet all inside of the vehicle. So this is why they lost every bit of evidence they had. How do you lose an impounded vehicle? It's a whole car. Like I get it's if you lose a piece of paper or something. A whole Girl, car. A whole car. Like what? I've never even heard of that. Police Chief Chadwick Wagner did acknowledge the lack of respect and accountability for the way the case was run for Adam and his family and apologized for the misuse of handling this particular case. Like, that doesn't mean anything. Nothing. Like, if Which, somebody. But you know, like, at least he said sorry. A lot of people would be like, nah, that's not our problem. Yeah, but what. I mean, he couldn't say that. Who was the like the, one of the chiefs on the case? You can't just be like, "That's not my problem." Like that, I just lost the vehicle. Like, oh, but they what? do though. They do that all the time. Oh well, I don't know what you mean. We didn't. It wasn't our fault. It was so and so's fault. I cannot. I literally cannot. <laughs> like being that family, I'd be devastated. Like, yeah. Devastated. And it's so sad because this chief actually believes that Otis is the killer behind the brutal slaying of the six-year-old Adam Walsh. However, some speculated if Jeffrey Dahmer could have been behind the murder of Adam Walsh and when he was actually interviewed because they went to go interview him on this case. And Jeffrey Dahmer stated that he pretty much told them everything about each victim he ever hurt. So why would he leave out Adam? He denies ever even meeting him, hurting him, seeing him. He says he has nothing to do with that. And I want to say really quickly that it is so disheartening to hear and that it happens way too like much in cases where they try and pinpoint it somewhere else when you pretty much like you literally have the confession he told you what he did from start to finish but you're gonna go somewhere else like to Jeffrey Dahmer I, I don't understand anyway yeah I, I mean I guess some if, if some speculated it was him but at the same time you know yeah this was all over the news or whatever but he could have had like 
specific details that were not given out to the public. The, the thing is, though, is that um, people have get, been convicted for crimes without any evidence at all, with just hearsay or whatever it is. They could have tried. He's in prison anyways, so they could have tried. The worst exactly. they could have said is, is not guilty. I mean, they're never going to get a guilty verdict if they don't take them. They're never going to get evidence. So I don't know, like, that's not going to be an option. Exactly. But, and I totally agree, because... I mean, yeah. it sucks that it, it happened this way, but we'll, I'll tell you, we'll finish this in, here in a few. So, during this time, Otis would stand trial in the murder of George Sonnenberg. This is all pretty much happening kind of simultaneously. I mean, it was very close in time periods. And on April 28th, 1984, he would be found guilty and sentenced to death for George Sonnenberg. Now that the police know that they have a serial killer behind bars, they do their best to piece together possible unsolved cases within the area that could point Otis to be their killer. Later that year, they would solve a cold case, which was a 19-year-old victim who was found strangled to death in Tallahassee, Florida. And they would finally lay the case at rest whenever the jury found Otis guilty with first-degree murder and he would receive his second death sentence. Like, if this is true that he did kill the six-year-old boy, I mean, he literally has no M.O. He is killing a lot of people, doesn't matter the age, doesn't matter the gender, doesn't matter where they pick are getting picked up from it doesn't matter the murder weapon he is just killing to kill during his time incarcerated Otis came forth and gave a confession contesting that he was behind four other unsolved cases which led him to being convicted and found guilty with four more life sentences this would bring his total charges up to six in which he was found guilty in every single one of them. And by the time in the year 2008, police made it known that Otis is the most likely to have killed six-year-old Adam Walsh, and they stand firmly behind that, but no longer obviously have the evidence to back it up. So Otis has a confirmed six murders, a pretty sure one murder, and up to 65-plus possible unsolved murder cases while he was in prison it was claimed by many people he had paranoid schizophrenia and while serving his sentence he was briefly in the cell next to ted bundy in florida's rayford prison so Otis, we're just out here diagnosing ourselves that's well, what we're doing well i don't even think he said that that was from what i could tell like from other prison inmates and like guards and like there was something about him that made people believe that he had paranoid schizophrenia I don't know what that meant maybe he talked to himself or he displayed multiple different personalities or voices that he was hearing I mean I'm not 100% sure but I thought that was interesting to put that in there Otis told yeah but I'm sorry sorry before you keep going I have a question um did they have evidence against all of these other cases that he was convicted for? 
I believe so, that yes. you know of? Okay. Yes. So all those other cases, um, they obviously held a trial and pre presented the evidence and found him guilty. But the one that they didn't have the evidence for was Adam, which would have, if they did, it probably would have brought the six cases up to seven. But they, they're trying to tie in Adam Walsh, the six-year-old boy, in with the other six because mm -hmm. they're pretty certain it's him. They just can't prove it. And I know that's so weird to say, but yeah, it's just it's odd that they're you know they lost a whole car, but they had enough evidence for these other cases, which is that they didn't find out until later. So they had enough evidence for later cases, but they didn't have evidence for Adams. Yep, I know hmm. it's crazy. Interesting. So, um, I do want to say though that. They were probably on the shelf as uh, like unsolvable cases where they were detaining and holding the DNA evidence. And whenever Otis came forth to tell police officers like, hey, that was me who committed those crimes. This is what happened. This is who it was. This is where I dumped their bodies or laid them to rest, I guess. And they went and pulled the cases off the shelf to test probably like the DNA or the evidence against Otis and that was probably a confirmed match. That's my guess. It doesn't come out. Which is fine. But like where did they get all the evidence from? Was it from the van and they just didn't get Adams? Like it where probably, is that? That's what. Like I feel like it would probably be on the murder like the murdered victims themselves. Mm. Like I don't <laughs> know because they don't come out and say it but that's where I would think because um yeah i mean i would think it would be the victims like maybe on their person underneath their fingernails or like a fiber on them in their hair like i'm not sure but that's interesting they don't tell us that so with all this being said otis tool would die on september 15th 1996 in a Florida state prison inside his cell at the age of 46 due cirrhosis which is also known failure of the liver and at this time a niece of Otis's did come forth and say that on his deathbed he fully admitted to the kidnapping and murder of six-year-old Adam Walsh. He was buried in the prison cemetery because no one would end up coming to claim his body now i'm not too sure where the cannibalism falls into play but all over the internet in almost every article or story all it says and talks about is otis being the quote jacksonville cannibal but i could not find any evidence projecting that he was because there was nothing out there saying that he you know kept the body and ate it or boiled it or or anything it like doesn't that blow your mind like even if you yeah that's right weird now, it, there's nothing nothing and i i literally searched and searched and searched trying to find something and that right there along with what happened with those of other four soft cases with the evidence that we just talked about there's probably so much being withheld from the public with otis tool yeah so there are many books tv series and movies you can watch that cover his story 
and I did not look into those, but feel free if the cases intrigue you. And to this day, it is unclear how many lives Otis and Henry claimed across the states and who all else could be uncovered. uncovered. I am glad there has been justice for the victim so far, and we will see what else the police task force may uncover in the future. But that basically wraps up today's episode. What did you think, Shay? I think that was a great cover of it. I'm really intrigued by the evidence situation and why they have some and not the other. I'm also intrigued about the cannibal thing because why would you dub somebody cannibal and then they don't have any evidence of him. If they're going to take that as his as a confession of him eating humans, then why wouldn't they take the other confession? Um, I don't know. It's weird. I, it's just crazy to hear about all these cases where people are wrongfully convicted because of he said, she said, and of confessions and all that, but yet they can't take a serial killer who said he did it and will yep. say he did it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, it doesn't to me either. It's kind of backwards how that happens. And especially if you have a serial killer literally giving you a play-by-play of what took place, it's like, I get that you need physical evidence, but to me, if you can give a play-by-play of what happened from point A to point B, then that's evidence to me, especially if it wasn't released to the public, especially if nobody knew what exactly happened to Adam. That to me is evidence, but you know, I'm definitely not certified or have a license or a degree or anything like that, just my opinion. We're certified enough, y'all. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I want to thank you guys for tuning into another episode here on Texas Chicks Who Talk Murder. This was a crazy, loopy, like loophole case, but I wanted to cover it. And if you could take a second to give us a review or rating on whatever platform you are tuning onto today to listen to us. And buy merch. Yes, and buy merch or share our merch, whatever, hit us up, DM us, give a compliment, whatever it is that you feel is on your heartstrings, please do so because we love it and it means so much. And remember, as always, to watch your back and stay out of dark places because you never know who's lurking. Bye. Bye.